In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Um, so as Abuna was, was kind enough um, to ask me what my thoughts were on the next book um, that we should study together, um, the first book that kind of jumped uh, to the front of my mind was The Song of Songs. Um, it's, a, it's a book that I recently finished um, studying myself, and I was just simply uh, in awe of its depth and beauty. Uh, it quickly jumped to being one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, I read it before a while ago, uh, but it flew over my head. Um, but once I read it again uh, with the guidance of the commentary from Father Tedros Malati, um, I truly felt like it was one of the hidden treasures in the Bible uh, that we either overlook or must misunderstand its content. Uh, so hopefully over the next uh, few weeks, we could dive a little bit deeper together into this book um, and, and uh, just learn about what, it, what it's about, what the background was, what it, what it actually means, the words that are in there. Uh, because it's not uh, it's not a it's not the easiest book to understand uh, because it's very allegorical uh, as we'll as we'll as we'll get into. Um, so given you know given that we just finished the book of Malachi um, last week, which the theme of that book was turning away from sin uh, and returning to God. Uh, so as we'll see together, the climax or the peak or the goal of the spiritual life is found in the songs of songs um, because. By returning to God, you know, ultimately, we, we, as we walk and progress in our spiritual life, the goal is to get closer to God. Um, so with that, with that said, let's get into a little bit of background uh, about the book. Uh, it's one of the five poetic books in the Bible, the others being Job, Psalms, uh, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Um, it's called the Songs of Songs, um, and, the main re- and the main reason for that, it's the best song of all songs. Uh, the pr- repetition of the word song of songs, like it highlights its superiority over all the other songs. Um, it's like saying Lord of Lords or King of Kings or Heaven of Heavens, right? Um, uh, you might ask what the other songs are for this to actually be called the Song of Songs. Um, as one of the church fathers, Origen, uh, he, what he commented on when it came to that, he said, you know, uh, he, saw this, he saw the soul singing continuously um, uh, continuously seven songs with with the climax of the soul's song towards God being the song of song being this song that we're going to get into um, so for the sake of time I won't really dwell on you know on the seven songs uh, but but just essentially it's the soul song it's it's a soul song for every step of the spiritual journey that we walk on uh, and it culminates into this the soul's deep desire and love for God which is the spiritual cli- climax um, as we mentioned before um, traditionally, the Song of Songs is attributed to Solomon. It's actually, the, you know, the first, the first line, the first verse in the book. Um, and as you know, Solomon wrote two other books in addition to this one, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Uh, and the book was roughly written um, in 965 to 960 BC, roughly speaking. Um, and then, you know, traditionally, the, uh, the or as we'll see, the theme of the book is is the yearning love between the bride and the bridegroom. Um, there are other characters mentioned in this book that we'll get into, but for the most part, it's, it's a poem uh, that's between the bride and the bridegroom and how they earnestly seek uh, one another. So in my preparation for this, I was looking at a lot of different sources to make sure that I actually do the book justice, uh, but in nearly everything I came across, uh, the book was essentially described as just a book about the sexual intimacy between a man and wife. Um, and if one reads it as is, I certainly see why it could come across that way. 
Um, there was actually even a Jewish rabbi in the time of Christ that wanted to remove this book from the scriptures because he interpreted the book literally as opposed to allegorically, um, as it's meant to be written and as it was written and meant to be understood. Um, so as you'll see, as we dive deeper into and deeper and deeper into this book, a literal interpretation of this book is shallow at best and very aib at worst, right? Um, so, you know, as you can see from um, the quote that I have on there, uh, Midrash, which is a Hebrew commentary on the scriptures, uh, it says, the book of Song of Songs is the best song presented to God through the Holy Spirit. It's a song which God praises us and we praise him, right? So even, you know, as you can see, it's from, even from the, um, from the Jewish perspective, they understood it as an allegorical book, understanding that the bride uh, was Israel and the bridegroom uh, was God, right? Um, so obviously for us, as we'll get into it's this book as as Christians, uh, the bride in this case is going to be representing the church or representing the one soul. Um, and the bridegroom is obviously Christ. Um, some characteristics that you should know about um, before we get into the book, uh, and just keep in mind as we're going through it, it's that it's a book for the spiritual immature, uh, just because of the contents. It's not like it's x-rated or anything like that, but it's just a way to understand it and the way to interpret it. It's for the spiritual immature. So that's one thing. The second thing, it's a book about the heavenly wedding. Uh, as you'll see, it's a, you know, it has a bride and a bridegroom. Um, it's a book of the church sacraments. So throughout the, throughout the book, you'll we'll come across, um, you'll see themes of sacraments, uh, whether that's baptism, uh, confirmation, um, uh, communion, for example. Um, the other thing, the last one, it's a book of spiritual virginity. It's for the, for the spiritually pure. Um, you'll see these characteristics throughout the book, but I kind of wanted to give you a preview so you could kind of keep an eye out for these themes as we go through it. Um, and as a side note, the Jewish tradition, uh, in the Jewish tradition, this book was read on the eighth day after the Passover. Um, so uh, the eighth day has a significant uh, meaning in our life because it's, the eighth day symbolizes a new life. Um, you know, so if you, if you count the weeks from Sunday to Saturday, that's seven days. The eighth day, that's Sunday. It's a new life. Um, so Father, Father Tedros puts it simply, the eighth day refers to the day after the seven days of the week. That is the new life or the life to come in Christ, our true Passover. Uh, this song is a prophecy about the true Passover who delivers us from death and enters us to his chamber, the heavens of heavens, a chaste virgin eternally united with him. So uh, that's kind of, you know, that's, uh, this is why it's, it's, it's such a beautiful book, because it's about the renewal of life. It's about um, the spiritual walk with God, towards God, and with God. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, the soul's intimate desire to be alone with God. Um, and, and as we'll see, again, as we, we'll build up to this uh, as we go through the book. Um, so uh, as I kind of mentioned in the prior slide, the, the book was written by Solomon, who wrote two other books, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Um, traditionally, it's said that Solomon wrote Proverbs, in his younger years, Ecclesiastes and like midlife and the songs of songs when he was, uh, when he was older. Um, in a way that, you know, each one, each one of these books symbolizes our spiritual journey or a spiritual ladder that we go through. So we could see that, you know, in Proverbs, Solomon offers a lot of wisdom around the moral realities around us. So it's a book about how we should live honorably, uh, our habits, our behaviors, our response, attaining virtue, attaining wisdom. Uh, and so on. It's the, in the big picture, that's how, you know, we all our spiritual journey. Started from Sunday school till to this day. Um, it's about, um, 
how we attain virtue, how we conduct ourselves. It's essentially the beatitudes of our spiritual life. So that's kind of what, you know, Proverbs um, symbolizes. And if you think about the, the, the beatitudes were, was Christ's first sermon, if not one of the first ones, because it's, it lays the foundation of what's to come. Um, in Ecclesiastes, which is a second step, the book is speaking about the futility of the present life uh, so that, you know, we learn of its temporal nature. We learn that it's, it's a passing, uh, it's a passing, you know, this life that we're in is, is you know, every, will be done away with. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a book that looks at everything around us and calls it vanity of vanities. So likewise, like once we mature in our spiritual life, uh, we learn that this life is passing away and could wholeheartedly say with Solomon, vanity of vanity, all is vanities, right? All is temporal, all is passing away. We no longer have this um, attachments or desire to earthly material possessions because we have our eyes um, on the higher on the higher thing, which is God. Um, and finally, the, the kind of the last step uh, in the spiritual ladder there, which the Song of Songs represents, it's that we desire God himself, right? So we have the foundation, we've come to some spiritual maturity, uh, in the sense of how we look at the world and, and, and what, you know, what the value of the world means to us uh, or lack thereof, lack of the meaning of the world. Um, so we desire God himself. We desire all that is heavenly. Uh, when we reach the song of songs stage in our spiritual life, it's really when the soul is completely satisfied with the divine love uh, and does not need anything else besides him. Uh, it's the state of the, you know, spiritual nirvana, if you will, right? It's a state of desiring God only and nothing else besides him. Um, it's where the soul is attached to Christ and goes where he goes. Um, it's the state of spiritual perfection, spiritual maturation. So as one of the church fathers, um, Theodoret of Cyrus, he says, the person, it kind of summarizes what I just, uh, what I just uh, talked about here and says, the person uh, approaching a religious way of life must first purify the mind with good behavior, then strive to discern the futility of the impermanent things and transitory character of what seems pleasant. So that's kind of the Ecclesiastes stage. And then finally takes wings and longs for the bridegroom who promises eternal goods. Hence, this book is placed third. So the person trends this path comes to perfection, right? So that's, you know, this is, um, uh, this is just the ultimate stage that we are all desiring to get to. This is a, this is, you know, this is why we fast, we pray, we read, we go to church, we serve, uh, we love, right? Is to be able to attain to this, um, attain this stage of perfection in our spiritual life. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, as um, we'll see that th we'll see this throughout this, the, the books as we go through it. And um, as we go through the book, through, like as I mentioned earlier, there will be a few characters outside of the bride and the bridegroom. Um, the, again, they will appear. Uh, they won't really have big roles or anything like that, but they're there nonetheless. Uh, they will appear in some chapters, drop a line into and then fade. And then you will see them again in the next chapter. Um, the table that I have here on the slide, it's... Um, it kind of shows each character in the book, in the book, and what they symbolize, and how we should, um, which how be looking at them. Uh, so it's you know starting off with the bride and the bridegroom. That's that's an easy one, right? That's it represents it represents Christ who betrothed the church as a holy bride for him. So whenever we see the bridegroom or the bride, or I'm sorry, whenever we see the bridegroom throughout the book, just automatically know that it refers to Christ. Uh, the bride, the bride, or the the Shulamite, as you'll see in some translations. Is the church or the believer's soul? Um, it, it's she's also called the you know the Shulamite just because that Shulamite is a is a woman that's from Shulam, which means peace, right? Um, so there is there's a there's a really beautiful meditation on the name Shulamite uh, that we'll get to uh, as we get through this book. 
Um, the other characters you'll see, the virgins, uh, these are essentially believers who are just who haven't attained spiritual depth, but have achieved some progress in their spiritual life. Uh, the daughters of Jerusalem uh, will be the Jews who should have preached the Messiah to save the world, but they rejected him. Um, the friends of the bridegroom, the angels um, who, who attained the perfect man, as St. Paul puts it in Ephesians. Uh, and the young sister uh, represents humanity who needs the Lord Christ to serve and care for her. Um, so uh, as we're going through the book, you'll see that the book may not appear to have a storyline or necessarily cohesive. It's not a linear book in the sense of A leads to B, which leads to C, but it's, it's, there's, a, there's a beautiful harmony between each one of the eight chapters. You know, it's a book that carries with it the unity of mutual love. So even though it doesn't necessarily flow or may not seem cohesive on the surface, there is, uh, you know, the underlying tone of it is it's actually uh, a deep unity between the bride and the bridegroom uh, and how they express their love for one another. Um, so we'll get into chapter one uh, today. I don't know how much we'll be able to um, we'll be able to get to through today, uh, but my hope is to kind of get through the first two parts looking at the suffering Messiah and the shepherding Messiah, those two attributes. If we have time, we'll, we'll, touch, we'll touch on the reading Messiah um, as we go through this. So the first, the first chapter and a half or so, uh, the bride, you'll see that the bride declares the personality of the, bride, the bridegroom right away. Think of it as kind of the, the engagement period. Um, so during that time, the bride gets to know her bridegroom on a much deeper level. Uh, she, dis- she discovers his, his personality, his secrets, um, his likes, dislikes. Uh, she discovers his love for her, and she grows to be attached to the bridegroom. Um, so during this period, as with engagement periods, the bride gets gets the true taste of bri- the bridegroom's love for her, and he usually is top of mind of her thoughts um, to the point where maybe she can't stop talking about him to her family or friends. So as you see, as we're con- conversing, she's talking to the daughters of Jerusalem. She's talking about to the friends of the bride of the bridegroom. She's talking about. Know, to him with other characters in the Bible because she can't stop um, talking about him. Um, she, you know, the bridegroom it, during this engagement period grows to become everything to her. Uh, this engagement period is the honeymoon before the honeymoon, if you will. I don't know if that's the case after marriage, but you know, for now we'll, we'll just keep it as that. Um, I'm just kidding, Cindy. Um, so you know, like, likewise, in, in this case, uh, the bride. The bride is, in this case, the church sees her bridegroom as a sufferer, um, as a suffering Messiah, since he suffered for her. Um, he shepherded her by taking care of her. You know, Christ is her king since he leads her. And it's her beloved because he loves her and she loved him. So those are the four personalities of the bridegroom that we'll touch base on. Um, so as mentioned, this book is very, very deep and has a lot of hidden meanings. So for the sake of time, I won't really get into every single detail or symbol, um, but we'll take the overarching themes um, as we discuss them a little bit more. Um, if there's something that sounds out to you, um, ask Abuna, um, or, or uh, I'm happy to stop and discuss um, uh, as much as I can. And if I don't know the answer, uh, I'll be sure to get to your question, research it and get back to you on it next week, Godwin. So uh, don't hesitate to ask questions as we're going through it. Um, uh, and then hopefully, you know, Abuna Tedros's book is, I don't know, I forgot, like roughly 200 and some pages on it. And even in the beginning of the book, he says, there's not enough time to get through it all. Um, so uh, for the sake of uh, sake of the time and the sake of kind of understanding the book, I won't get into every detail, but just kind of highlight the first themes. 
So with, with that said, let's get into the first part, which is the suffering Messiah. Um, so if you will open your Bibles to chapter one, we're going to read through, um, we're going to read verses one through six. Uh, so I'll give you guys a minute and then we'll, we'll go from there. All right. Um, so it starts off by saying, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And now it's the Shulamite woman or the bride that's speaking. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Draw me away. And then the daughters of Jerusalem respond and say, we will run after you. The Shulamite says, the king has brought me into his chambers. And then the daughters of Jerusalem respond by saying, we will be glad and rejoice in you. We remember your love more than wine. The Shulamite says, rightly do they love you. She's talking about the bridegroom. I am dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I'm dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards by my own vineyard, I have not kept. So what is this all about? So uh, for starters, you could tell that this book is written from the angle of people who accepted God's love and are desiring to live their life meditating on his love. Um, if it was for those who are beginning the spiritual journey, it would have started off with the bridegroom flattering his bride, right? Which is a church. God flattering us. I love you. You know, I did this, 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 and this. And really declaring his love for her. Um, that she that he might win her over and she might repent. Um, kind of like, you know, someone that's trying to get the attention of a girl that he likes, he flatters her uh, with, with words. So, in the, you know, in this case, uh, in this case, though, the bride has already tasted the bridegroom's love. You know, she says right there, for your love is better than wine and is asking for more. So that's kind of like, keep that in mind as we go through it. Um, uh, as we said, the Shulamite kind of represents the church or the soul. So this is the voice, you know, the kisses of the divine mouth, if you will, um, as, as, uh, as she puts it. She, you know, she says it's the, it's, it's the voice of one that has their eyes towards the cross. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a voice of someone, someone that tastes Christ's sweet fragrance and sees his blood shed for her. She asks for kisses. What, what are these kisses all about? Um, here, the, the bride or the soul uh, is requesting the kisses of the mouth of the father. You know, God gave man many kisses throughout the ages. Uh, these kisses represented, you know, the, the, he created man in his own image and likeness. Um, he made creation for man and gave him authority over it. Um, he took care of man after the fall. Um, and he gave man law and prophets to guide him to salvation. But all that didn't satisfy man. It didn't win man over, right? Um, because we desire God himself. We, nothing less, you know, that's, that's, that's the innate, what's in our hearts, that's innate, to desire God. So it's kind of like the bridegroom is giving his bride many gifts. But at the end of the day, while the gifts are nice, she, she really wants them for herself, for herself not the gifts. Um, so likewise, the bride here asks for the kiss of his mouth. Um, so digging a little bit deeper into that um the the kisses also kind of represent the kisses of the father from the son right mouth because christ is the word of god 
um, which we actually receive these cases on the cross. This is the this is the attitude of you know, sorry. This is the ultimate kiss of um, that God gave man through His Son. Um, this is the expression. You know, this expression is about the spiritual divine kiss, which allows us to be in union with God and His Son through the cross. Right. This is this is what the bride. This is what the soul. This is what the church um, is seeking. Uh, because, you know, that's what we want. We want Christ himself. And that's what we're asking God uh, to give us. This is what, you know, what he, the kisses of the div- kisses, let, the, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth means. Um, we also notice that the bride here asks for many kisses, not just one, right? Um, because this represents the feeling of, of, of one whose heart is inflamed with God's love. You know, one thing is not enough. Two kisses is not enough. I want all of you, Right. Um, all, you know, all that this person asks for is all of God's love to be directed to him. He sees Christ on the cross and the heart is just overwhelmed with love for God. You know, your love is, your heart is wounded by love. Um, that's, you know, this is, it's not just, we want God himself. We want him on a deeper level because we love him so, so, so much. Right. So it's, <laughs> it's very, very beautiful. You know, on a practical level, this gives me something to think about in the sense of the direction of my prayers, right? Am I praying for this kiss or this union with God? Um, can I honestly stand up in front of God and say, God, you're all I want. I want nothing else but you. Like everything that you've given me is great and all, but I just want you. It makes me think whether or not my heart is on fire for God. And if it's not, why not? What's holding me back? Uh, am I preventing the Holy Spirit to work in my heart for my heart to be directed towards God? Um, you know, is it worries, family, friends, job, you know, et cetera, or even the service to a certain extent, is that what's holding me back from loving God? Um, these are just some things on a personal level that came to mind, uh, as I was kind of reading and meditating on this. So, you know, so I urge you to take the time to kind of, you know, maybe sit back and meditate on that and, and see, you know, are we truly asking um, not just individually, but collectively as a church, because that's, we are, are we are all one church. Are we desiring God uh, and the kisses of his mouth? Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of that first verse or the half of that verse in a nutshell. Uh, any questions? Feel free to just speak. If you have any questions, Abuna, feel free to add anything that you want. Oh, all right. Good so far? Cool. So let's get into the next, the next, um, the next section, which is for your love is better than wine. Um, back in the old days, and uh, and I think some places still do this. I'm not a wine connoisseur, but you know the grapes are usually put in a wine press, and the people would go in this wine press and just crush them with their feet. Um, from there, the kind of the juice, kind of direct, the juice of the red, red grapes, kind of flows, and and the clothes of the people that are pressing the grapes uh, is all red from the grapes. Um, so similarly, like Isaiah highlights that Christ, the bridegroom in this case, went through the wine press, which is the cross, um, alone for the salvation of his bride. You know, in Isaiah 63, he says, "Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This one who is glorious in his apparel." traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why are your apparel red and your garments like the one who trends in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone and from the people, no one was with me. So you can see that, you know, Christ, nobody, nobody went with him to the cross. He went 
through this wine press, through this cross, because out of his love for us, uh, he suffered for our sake. So this is, this is the love that's better than wine, because through this wine press or through the cross, um, which Christ went through for us, we weren't just offered wine to drink, but he offered us his blood and through his blood, eternal life. Um, you know, if you think about it, Christ's first miracle was turning water into wine. Um, he didn't really do this to show off. He didn't, this, he didn't do this because he wanted them to get drunk. If anything, he actually made, you know, he made, he, he made this miracle, one, in obedience to St. Mary, and two, because he wanted to make them sober, right? He wanted them to realize who he is. Um, he gave them the new wine as a sign of his love, uh, as a sign of this new joy. Um, so likewise, Christ gave us the joy of a new and eternal life through the cross. Um, so whenever, whenever we see wine mentioned in the Bible, and you, I think you'll see it through, multiple times throughout this book, it usually symbolizes joy. Um, as I was you know, personally reflecting on this, I had to ask myself the question of whether I consider God's love for me greater than the earthly joy that I get from being with family, friends, career success, um, material possessions, um, service, so on and so forth. Not that these things are bad by any means. Um, if anything, they're actually blessing from God himself. But do I consider his love greater than all the joy that these things bring me, right? Am I, am I able to say, truly safe in my heart, for your love is better than wine? Um, you know, and again, it requires some self-meditation. If, that, if I'm not honestly willing to say that, um, and not just saying it, but, you know, meaning it from the bottom of my heart. Um, and then, you know, through this, through this wine or this through through this new wine um, or the love of the bridegroom as we as we said we're able to smell the sweet fragrance of christ on the cross um so if we you know if we go to the next verse uh which is verse three it says because of the fragrance of your good ointments your name is is ointment poured forth therefore the virgins love you so you know in 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 this case we from the scriptures we see that the father anointed the son for the sake of our salvation. Um, we see this clearly in the Psalms and in Isaiah. Uh, in the Psalms, it says, you loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, your God, therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So right away, we could see who is this anointed person aside from Christ? Um, you know, the second part that we see in Isaiah is, you know, it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery to, of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Um, and then if, if you recall, Christ himself testified to these words, the ones in Isaiah, uh, that these words were speaking of him. You know, after here at the passage in, uh, the passage in Isaiah, um, Christ did what it's equivalent to dropping the mic today, right? By saying, today the scriptures have been fulfilled in your ears, closed it put the book down and, you know, and, and that's it. Um, so like, so even Christ himself uh, testified of that, that he's the anointed one. So right away we, we could see that, you know, he's anointed. So that's uh, the fragrance of his, of his good ointments are seen and evident. Um, you know, we also have to ask what does actual anointment mean, right? Uh, so anointing is, is simply consecration, uh, something or someone that is set apart for God and God alone. Um, you know, for example, a consecrated servant or a or the altar vessels that we use for liturgy, those are consecrated. Those are just meant to be um, uh, for the church and for the purpose of the liturgy. And that's it. Um, 
you know, so this is this is what this is what the consecration anointment is, is meant by in this in this case. So with that in mind, Christ Christ's ministry was consecrated for God the Father. Uh, so in everything Christ did for us, um, we see this fulfillment of this anointment because He carried us and made us united with God through His obedience, um, through Christ's consecrated service to the Father. We we essentially we essentially become consecrated for God, right? Um, you know, it, Christ said, "For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth." So we don't belong to anyone or anything else but God and God alone through Christ. You know, apart from Christ, we 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 there is no there is no reconciliation, there is no consecration, right? We we belonged to you know we were in the enemy's hands, but because of the consecration and the obedience of Christ. And everything he did for us, um, this this is how we became consecrated for God. Uh, the fragrance that's that's mentioned here is the fragrance of Christ's obedience to the Father and everything that he did, most especially on the cross, right? Um, you know, in one of the hymns that we sing during the um, Good Friday, and we also sing uh, during the Feast of the Cross, is, is Phi Eta of Imp, and I, I know it's one of uh, Abuna's favorite hymns. Um, as and in one in the lyrics in the, in the words of the hymn, it says. This is he who offered himself up as an acceptable sacrifice on the cross for the salvation of our race. His good father smelled him at the evening watch on Golgotha. So what is, what is that smell? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the smell of obedience, right? It's not, it's not like, it's not the, the smell of sin or death necessarily, right? Because Christ was alive, right? Uh, Christ is alive. And, you know, he, although he became sin for us, and even though he died on the cross, he's still alive, but that's not, the smell that the father that was a good aroma to God the Father. It was the, it was the fragrance of obedience. So, the, so through the smell of, you know, of Christ's obedience, not only was the smell of death gone, but we ourselves become the fragrance of Christ, as Saint Paul mentioned uh, in Second Corinthians. Um, you know, through the obedience of Christ and His work on the cross, all of humanity knows Him and is drawn to Him, and that's why that's why it says, "Therefore, the virgins love you." Right after it, right because. You know, Christ himself, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself, right? So we could see here, you know, the, the steps that, you know, the, you know, the bride fell in love, you know, proclaims her love to, to the bridegroom because he suffered for her. And then, you know, she, it's because as we, as we see here, it's because of obedience and, a, and because of the sacrifice that, um, that Christ went through for us. So as I look at this, as I look at this, um, uh, specific verse, it made me think about my obedience or lack thereof, really. Um, not just obedience to God, but, you know, obedience to others, obedience to my elders, obedience to other servants. And it's not just, it doesn't have to be my elders, but obedience to other people, even if they are younger than me. Um, does my obedience mirror that of Christ? Uh, if not, why? Right? Is it my pride that's getting in the way? Um, you know, for me personally, I know I struggle with this area a lot. And, uh, you know, Abuna could testify of that. Um, I know that's not always, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely an area that I need my, you know, personal growth in. Um, but luckily, there's hope, as we'll see in the next verse. Um, you know, it, the next, uh, sorry, before I move on, are there any questions? I actually can't testify of that, Jack. I'm just going to throw that up. <laughs> You're an opinion guy. Thank you. That's not the, <laughs> any um, any questions. Going once, going twice. All right. 
So as I said, there's hope, right? Despite the disobedience, despite um, um, uh, you know the, the 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 lack of purity, there's hope. Um, in, in verse, um, if we skip right down to verse uh, five, it says, "I'm dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon." So. You know, this is simply, um, I love this verse so much. Uh, (laughs) This is simply the state of the soul or the church, really, um, as a whole, before and after knowing Christ and being redeemed by him. Uh, Before Christ, our soul is dark because of this, because sin reigns in us. Uh, But after we put on Christ uh, through baptism, we are a new creation. So remember in the beginning, I said, this is, this is a book about, it's a book of the church sacraments. So this is where one of the sacraments shows up. Um, you know, we're a new creation. We're lovely. We become lovely through the waters of baptism. Um, right here in Galatians, St. Paul says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So if we put on Christ, that means we're lovely. That means we're beautiful. That means we're blameless. Not because of anything that we've done. It's by grace and grace alone. Um, you know, actually, also, and like I just mentioned that second verse there, it says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Um, so it's, it's, again, it just shows that our state before and after Christ. Before Christ, we were dark. After Christ, we're lovely. Um, you know, and it's not, and it's not, it's also, as we'll get into, in, in, you know, a little bit more contemplation of this verse, we'll see that there's a good balance to the dark and lovely. It's not there. You don't, you don't actually bump heads. Uh, they complement one another very, very well. Um, actually a couple lines before this, it says the King brought me into his chambers. Um, some of the church fathers interpret that chamber um, as the waters of baptism. So, and then, you know, through baptism, we're able to say that we are dark, but lovely. Um, you know, and again, that it's, the dark and lovely is very, it's very humbling and an uplifting um, verse uh, all at the same time. Um, dark and lovely actually, you know, like I said, they balance and, and they complement one another very, very well. For, you know, when a person feels that there is um, hopelessness in him, you know, he says, I'm lovely, you know, because I'm with Christ. Um, when a person says, uh, uh, when a person is self-righteous, is prideful person could say i'm dark right uh but it's through christ that i'm lovely so this you know there is um <laughs> there's just a beautiful harmony uh between the two words it's it's not one or the other uh they both really really um uh, bring you know it's like peanut butter and jelly right to the soul there's a, there's a dark and lovely to it um you know we're reminded that in God's eyes, we're lovely because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Apart from Christ, you know, we're, we're sinful, we're dark. Um, you know, I, I think one of the church fathers here says, I'm a sinner, but even more, I'm beautiful, but Christ loved me. So there's, there's this, you know, admission of sin, but there's also hope because of Christ's love towards us. Um, as I said, I really love this verse so much because it's, it's a gentle reminder for me that, yes, I'm a sinner. Um, yes, I have much darkness inside me, but through Christ, I'm blameless. It, it really does provide um, so much hope 
um, to all of us in our spiritual journey. Um, any questions on that part or any comments? Jack, I have a question about that in terms of the dark and lovely aspect. Is there also another meaning where um, she is possibly kissed by the sun and how the darkness is a beautiful um, attribute? And is there any other significance when they're talking about the tense of Kedar? Uh, so let, let me make sure that I understand the question correctly. You're asking if there's a, like a different meaning. Um, she's, she's lovely because of the kiss of Christ. Is that what you mean? Or the kiss of the bridegroom? Being kissed by the sun, you know, having yeah. dark skin, being, yeah, having dark skin, being black is beautiful. Not necessarily the darkness is um, relating to sin, but in a different context. Uh, I don't, I think, I think I know what you're asking. I don't think it's, I think it's more interpreted. Uh, like I said, it's more of a, it's an allegorical book and it's an allegorical, you know, it's an allegorical, um, it, it's, it's a poem, right? So there's a lot of, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that, um, that it's, you know, as, as far as I understood it, as far as the church fathers put it as well, it's the, you know, it's she's lovely yes because the the bridegroom kissed her right because as we said it's we're only beautiful through christ so it, that it was that kiss of the cross towards us that made us lovely apart from that we weren't um the darkness that is referred to as the darkness of sin we usually you know uh, you know in the, spiritually speaking we associate darkness uh, we associate sin with darkness it's not necessarily um it's not anything you know re related to race or or anything like that um, and then, you know, the, the tents of Qadar and the curtains of Solomon, they were, you know, these, the, you know, the temple that, that Solomon built was, um, you know, was one, like, was one of the, like, essentially back then it was like one of the seven, one of the wonders of the world, right? Because it's so beautiful. So she, she's saying, you know, I became so beautiful, like the curtains of Solomon and, and, and the tents of Qadar were also very, um, very magnificent in, in the way they looked. So that's what, that's what, um, she she means by you know dark but lovely. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, I was just wondering if there were um, different ways to um, just look at that verse because I've heard other ministers teach this and they had some different insights. But I'm so grateful that you're doing this book. You're doing an amazing job, and I'm learning so much. So God bless you. Thank you. No, thank God. Yeah, I, 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 um, I tend, I, I try to stay within what the church fathers wrote and not my own interpretation because, you know, these, these are words are beyond my own understanding. So I put forth in front of you what the church fathers taught and what I read, uh, not, nothing that is my, as if my own contemplation or anything like that. So, um, so just something to, to address what you just said. Um, and actually like, speaking to that Regina like uh, this actually re really ties in you know sort of well with what with what we just said uh, you know the next verse right after that she actually gives an excuse to the you know to her darkness she says do not look upon me because I'm dark because the sun has tanned me my mother's sons were angry with me they made me the keeper of the vineyards by my own vineyard I have not kept um, here the bride gives an excuse to her darkness um, she's saying that 
the son has tender has tend her. So uh, uh, Father Tedros Malti, you know, says the son here refers to the son of temptation, the son of sin, if you will. Essentially, the soul was dark because of the temptation facing it before the son of righteousness, as we as we covered in Malachi, came and shone upon her. Right. So there's a son of temptation versus a son of righteousness. Um, and that's that's the excuse that she's giving. She's saying she's dark because of sin. She's dark because, you know, we are not, I'm not even talking about the bride, but even on a personal level, um, as we said, the, the bride represents us as a church or as individuals. You know, we're saying we're we're dark on the inside because sin, um, you know, sin because of the temptations, the inner struggles um, that that take place within us. Um, you know, the right after that, the bride goes on to say, "My mother's sons were angry uh, were angry with me. Uh, they made me the keepers of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept." Um, this refers to the ego and the self which is within us and in the household of our hearts um you know the ego is you know those are the that's what's inside of us that's why i said my mother's sons were angry with me my mother's sons mean like close brother close relative so that's my ego right um so on the on the inside uh, she's saying that you know that the ego is the enemy of god's work in our life they were angry with me because why was why were why were these you know the, why was the ego angry with her um it's because you know when when the son of righteousness or christ shown naturally we've you know it's the struggle the inner struggle between us between our soul and, and body or the spirit and body for example are always you know butting heads you know if you satisfy the body the spirit is weak and if you satisfy the the, weak, the, the spirit the flesh is weak and they're always at, at war with one another and that's why she says my mother's sons were angry with me um the ego is what and the other part of it too is if you continue they made me the keeper of the vineyards by my own vineyard i have not kept um as i said the ego is the enemy of god's work in our life so the ego is what makes us look at other people or if you will in this case vineyards and and not our own vineyard right not our own heart uh, not our own life um and what we need to do to take care of right because we're busy looking at other people we're looking we're busy judging other people um it's it's our pride lets us look at this you know it doesn't let us look at the speck in 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 you know in or sorry our our ego lets us look at the speck of in somebody else's eye but not the log in our own eye and uh, not the not the um you know not look at not looking at the, oh, my own sins and my own vineyard and taking care of it um you know as as saint isaac the syrian says he who sees his own sin is higher than the man who resurrects the dead by his prayer. You has been granted the gift of seeing himself is superior to the man who sees angels. So a lot of times we're saying, oh, I wish I could see an angel. Oh, I wish I could do this, this, that, right? But if we see our own self and we see our own sin, St. Isaac says we're, we're even, you know, we're higher. It elevates us spiritually on a different level. Um, so, you know, for me personally, this was, was very, very, very convicting uh, because how many times, on a daily basis, do I judge others before I even do a self-assessment on myself? Um, how many times do I take care of others' vineyards before I take care of my own vineyard? Um, as Abuna said last week in his sermon, who's to say that if I was in other people's shoes, I wouldn't do the same? Again, dark but lovely in the sense that you know all these things, all these uh, inner struggles, all these, um, the ego is always, and that's what the dark part, but lovely because, and that keeps us humble, you know, the the, the, the dark uh, and kind of looking at our sin keeps us hum- keeps us humble and depending on God and lovely because we are with God. 
Um, so that's, you know, again, this is, this kind of um, closes out the, the, the first attribute of the Messiah or the bridegroom, which was the suffering Messiah. So throughout it from, um, you know, from, from the very, from verse one through six, we could see um, the love, the bridegroom um, expressed towards her, her bride because of the suffering that he went through for her. Um, so before I get into the shepherding a Messiah, which is a second attribute of the bridegroom, um, are there any questions on what we covered? Uh, I apologize if I went through it quickly or anything like that, but again, please feel, feel free to ask me any questions or not even, it doesn't have to be a question. Feel free to comment or add any, any of your thoughts or, or anything to that. Jack, I love the part you mentioned, this contrast between the dark and beautiful, also in relation to what Regina pointed out. It's, it's obviously a little different for, for every culture, every time. And not that we need to, to make a racial disclaimer or anything like that, but even in some translations, it'll say, I am black instead of I am dark. Or it'll say, Don't, do not look at me because I am black. Because literally this is what, what's said in the Septuagint and in the actual Greek is to say that this darkness or this, this identity of black is not a matter of race or ethnicity, but it's exactly what's in contrast to light. And again, if you look at this, like you've been emphasizing over and over again, if you look at this literally, at best, you're going to miss the purpose of it. And at worst, you're going to be totally misled. But um, in every culture, like in, in Egypt, like if somebody is not tanned, we consider them beautiful. And here, like people want someone who's a little tanned, a little darker. Every culture has their own idea of, whether tanned is attractive or not. So we need to just set aside that whole idea of uh, tanned or not, or dark or not, but essentially what black represents in the scriptures, and it's not about skin color or anything like that, but about the absence of light, which is sin and death. And he's saying, although I'm sinful in in the grace of God, I'm lovely, which is just such a beautiful concept. Yeah, thank you, Abuna, for for clarifying that further. Um, yeah, it's again, like, as I mentioned, it's it's honestly one of the favorite, one of my favorite verses um, that I've read throughout not just this book, but really um, the rest of the Bible. Because it's aside from you know, it's aside from it being humbling, uh, it's very beautiful and it's very um, comforting in in many ways. Um, cool. So, with no further comments or questions, um, we'll get into the shepherding Messiah, uh, which is a second characteristics of the, of the bridegroom um, that, you know, that the bride expresses um, in, in her statements. Uh, so in the middle, in the middle of the heart, like we just said, there's an inner war that's taking place inside of us. Uh, and even, and even in that, but even in that time, our soul feels the care, the provision, um, the sweetness of God and calls and calls him the one I love. You know, I think she, um, you know, in, in verse seven, she's, you know, that's kind of starts off. It says, tell me whom I love, right? So 
right away the good shepherd you know right away we see her her love despite you know despite um the inner war that that is going on inside of her where despite you know that her mother's sons or the vineyard are taking care of others vineyards and not her own um so the good shepherd you know the good shepherd is one of my favorite descriptions of christ uh, actually if not it's not one of my favorites probably my favorite one um because it just it highlights how loving uh, kind uh, caring compassionate uh, pro- protective christ really is of us uh, that's why he went as far as the cross um uh, to, to redeem us and to save us. And if you think about it, the job of a shepherd is to keep the flock intact, protect it, and share it, right? So if you think about it in, in contrast to Christ, that's exactly what he does, right? He keeps us united in himself. Um, he protects us and shears us by removing away the filth of sin away from us. Um, so, you know, with, with that said, actually, it was to the point like when we were, like if, if we didn't have a church in the diocese, as Christ the Good Shepherd, I would have nominated this one of the names for the church when we were, when we were, uh, when we were put, you know, we're establishing the church just because of how much I love uh, that description of Christ. Um, so, with that said, let's let's see how these verses, um, you know, show uh, the bridegroom as a shepherd uh, in here. So, actually, I'm I don't want to. I'm looking at the time, and I want to be respectful of your time. So, I'd rather end. A little bit early than late because I don't want to cut this part short. Um, so if Abuna permits, I'll end here and then we'll get into the second attribute next week. Just so I don't um, I don't cut this part short. All right, cool. So with that said, uh, I guess we'll we'll save this part to the next one. Hopefully that's a good teaser for next week. Make sure you guys come back. Um, but. Yeah, if you guys, again, if you guys have any well questions, played. we have, what's well up? Played. Well played, <laughs> way, to leave us on, way to leave us on the edge. <laughs> I, I practiced that, that was part of the whole thing. Um, uh, just kidding. Um, but no, if if there, we have, like I said, we have about three or four minutes left. So if anybody has anything to share, uh, please feel free to speak up. This, I want, you know, I, I, I'm trying to go through it because I want to get, be able to get through the book and that's why I'm not necessarily always stopping or anything like that, but I also want to be, I want to leave room for you guys to share your thoughts um, so we could all learn from one another. If none, then Abuna, then you could close us out. Thank you, Jack. Let's all bow our heads to pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. And we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for pursuing us as the most lovely, handsome, and caring groom that we can possibly imagine, for embracing us as your own, for um, never giving up on us, for giving us countless second chances. We thank you, Lord, for taking our sinfulness, our darkness, our own death, and transforming that into life, into light, into grace and for giving us a real relationship with you, the opportunity to know you to such an intimate level that we can call you our own bridegroom. Thank you for your love. We thank you for the scriptures, this love letter that you have given us that we can live by it and walk by it and apply it into our lives. Through the intercessions of St. Mary, all the choir of saints, here as we pray with all thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now the love of God the Father, the grace of his only begotten Son, our Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Stay at home in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.